0: Let me give you a little foretaste of what you'll be learning about this morning. You'll be hearing again, but another angle about this idea that God became man, the second person of the of the Trinity, as our brother Chuck Jenks spoke about in Sunday school. Which, if you didn't go, no shame, but you definitely missed out. This morning, he reminded us that Jesus did not come into being at the first Advent. He didn't come into being at the first Christmas that he is God from eternity past. He himself is eternal. And yet he added to himself, that first advent, he added to himself a human nature. So the, the children are going to be learning a little bit about that this morning. We, in a sense, will be learning about that as well from another angle. This last week we began our Advent series. I gave you this big theme, and so it should be on the screen for you this morning. This kind of is the the signpost or the guiding statement for this Advent season or this Christmas season that goes like this. The promised deliverer has come, bringing good news of great joy for all people. We've broken that sentence down into four parts. Last week, we looked at this idea that God promised to send a deliverer. We saw that first in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The promised deliverer. This morning we're going to look at this idea that he has, in fact, come. He's already been here. In fact, we as his bride, as his church, we await him to come again. But continuing to work through this Advent series statement. The promised deliverer, he has come. And not only has he come, but he has brought with him good news of great joy. Next week we're going to look at that statement. Good news of great joy. Maybe you have not thought about all the implications of that text. We pull it right out of the Gospel of Luke. That good news of great joy won't end next week. That statement won't be exhausted. 24th, we'll gather to contemplate the last part of the statement. That the promised deliverer has come, bringing good news of great joy for all people. We'll work a little bit to understand what are the implications of that Portion of the statement at any rate last week the main idea the God that spoke the world into existence he also spoke to us a promise that he would rescue it and we work to understand this truth that when God said let there be light light came into being and just as confident as when God, we can be just as confident about God speaking something into existence as a promise that he makes And I made the argument that really the only difference is this temporal piece, the timing of it. And if God says something will take place, if he makes a promise about a future occurrence that it is just as sure to take place as him speaking light into existence. God, as we looked at last week, he made a promise. He would send a deliverer. He would bless all the families of the earth through Abraham and he continues throughout the Old Testament to to add on and to reveal further information about this first promise that I made the the argument the entire word of God is about as you think about this idea of a promise I want to ask you this have you ever just longed for something so deeply so badly that you just couldn't hardly wait as adults living in the USA, 21st century, I don't know if we, I should be ashamed to say this, but we are scarcely acquainted with hope deferred. Scarcely acquainted with hope deferred. For most of us, we are so blessed. We are so resource rich, resource rich that when we want something, what do we do? We go and get it. If we need deliverance, we go and take care of it if we need something from the store some food we jump in our car and we go down or in this day and age we jump on the app and the doorbell rings a few moments later it seems unbearable that we would order something and it would not be on our doorstep in two days how in the world could Amazon not deliver that package in its normal Prime 2-day delivery window? It's almost unbearable. Yes. Those who heard the promise of God, even us today, we have a sense of hope deferred. Proverbs 13:12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick hoping wanting for something but it not taking place when you want it to happen it makes our hearts sick and while I shamed us for being Americans in the 21st century we do understand that and we've all experienced it but I want I want you to take a moment and pretend that you're not an American that you're not living in the 21st century but that you're actually living in the first century imagine that long ago God had, through your ancestors, revealed this truth that one day he would send a deliverer. Imagine your name is Cleopatra, if you're a female, or Cleopatros, if you're a male. It's basically the same name. One's a feminine, one's a, a masculine version of the same name. But imagine that's you. Imagine you've been thinking about these promises, even from the time that you were just a little guy or gal. You've been hearing about the promised Deliverer. Maybe you'd even read your mother's diary as she wrote, I really hope that I could bring into the world the Deliverer and that maybe in our name and in our family we would be used by God to to stomp on the serpent's head. Maybe you had heard about the suffering servant in the synagogue on Saturday. Maybe you had read about promise of God dwelling among his people again and delivering them and maybe even in your heart as you came of age you realized the shame and reproach that even had been upon your people the Israelites but then something took place you began to hear some rumblings as it went through the ranks and through the through the streets through the families something happened The something that I'm speaking of is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you have a copy of God's word, I invite you to turn there. It should be on the screen, but it's always helpful for, for you to hear it and read it and hold it in your own hands. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Imagine that you, Cleopatra, that you, Cleopatros, that you are hearing this statement and understanding what is described in these few verses for the first time. This is what the word of God says as it comes to you, first century Jew with a Greek name. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, here I would generally ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. This is not the only passage we'll look at in our introduction. I want you to think about what was spoken of by the Lord's servant, by this messenger to Joseph. There's a lot happening in there. A lot of background information that would be helpful for you to have. In this exact passage, in this passage that we've just read, Genesis 3 is referenced indirectly. The crushing of the head of the serpent, the, the deliverance from sin it's on its way. Isaiah 7 is referenced and quoted that God would dwell with man, with Israel, his people, and that God would take on flesh and be born of a virgin. Isaiah 53 is referenced here that this Messiah would save his people from their sins. The part that's left out is that it would be by Him, he himself dying for those sins, as Isaiah 53 makes so clear. But just imagine going back, You're that first century Jew, you're hearing all of these statements, and you're beginning to see all the blocks, all the the boxes being checked, all the things lining up that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you've heard about recently, the one that you've just heard this uh, this story being told about, that all of these are lining up, that He's come to save His people from their sins. He's born of the Holy Spirit's. He'll save His people and He'll be God Himself dwelling among man. I imagine for some time you would have been singing this song that we just sang before I came to this pulpit. Oh come, O come, Emmanuel. Oh come, O come, God, and dwell amongst us. Ransom captive Israel. This nation that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. If you don't pay attention during the music time, you're doing yourself a disservice, especially at Christmas time. They're so rich. I'm not speaking of jingle bells. What a great song. What a great testimony. Distillation of solid, true theology. Oh, come thou dayspring from on the high. Cause thy light on us to rise. Disperse the cloudy or the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come. Or Emmanuel will come. As you, that first century Jew, are declaring. Maybe in your heart you'd also be singing, O come, O come, true prophet of the Lord. And turn the key to heaven's door. Be our comforter and guide. And lead us to the Father's side. It's interesting. I'm not a musician, But I love music. I love to to learn about it. And one of the things that, that is so shocking to me, or just so interesting, I should say, to me, is the different keys that have been made available to us by our Creator. Every song finds itself written in a key. This particular song is written in E minor. Of course, it can be transposed to other ones, but it wouldn't be the same. E minor... Each, each key, it, it conveys its own sense of feeling that really is transcendent of all culture and language. If you are a human being, when you hear a song without words even, played in certain chords or in certain progressions or in a key, you'll still hear that universal language. E minor is grieving. It's mourning. E minor conveys a restlessness. And a longing. And this song wasn't around when you were living in the first century. And yet, if it had, you would be singing it. You would be expressing a restlessness, a longing for God's promises to be answered. For God's promises to be realized in your lifetime and in your heart. God had answered. All of these promises, he's answered all of these longings in Jesus. We know that today. However, we might think looking back now because we say, okay, there was, there was a time when God made the promise and then there was a time when God answered it and now we live in this space here and so looking back, we're like, yeah, of course, God has answered all of those promises in Jesus. He truly is the deliverer. He truly is the head crusher. And yet, it's not so clear for those living in the first century. And that's the shoes that you're trying to put on this evening or this morning. It's not as clear for everybody in those days. Even as late as the day of Jesus' resurrection, it wasn't so clear that Jesus had fulfilled all of those prophecies. And of course, he had. And it was tough to see. Even on that first Easter Sunday, Cleopatra... Cleopatras, you had been following Jesus from the time that you first heard that he was checking those boxes and that the prophecies were beginning to, to become aligned in his life. But then something changed. Jesus, who you thought was Messiah, who you were hanging all of your hopes and dreams on, He was murdered. And now on this day, it's been three days since he died. And so now I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 24. And so again, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Close by. Particularly, we want to look at verses 13 to 35. Luke 24, 13 to 35. This is an account of a few disciples making a journey, a short journey, from Jerusalem to a town or a village named Emmaus. Picks up in verse 13. That very day, two of them, Jesus' disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. might take about three hours, I'm told. I've never walked that trail or that path. They think it takes about three hours. And while they were talking with each other about these things, the death of their Lord, of their Master, and what had happened, it says in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16 says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, stopped in their tracks, tracks, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, which is actually short for Cleopatra or Cleopatras, answered him and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they didn't see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with us along the way? When he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they, when they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. I want to invite you to ask God to bless the reading of his word, this account given and recorded for us today. Father. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask you now to open up the scriptures to us. Father, we pray earnestly that our hearts would burn within us, and that we, as your church, would come to see, from the oldest to the youngest, from the newest to the oldest, Jesus more clearly. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name for your glory amen if you're taking notes this morning i want to offer this main idea for you this morning and it's this that despite our circumstances god is keeping his promises in jesus that despite our circumstances or despite your circumstances god is still keeping his promises in jesus i don't mean to take too long in this text I want to move quickly that's at least my intention I want to break down that sentence into a few thoughts the first is this that we as the people of God should continue to hope though things look bleak continue to hope though things look bleak look at verse 21 It says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. I want to offer you this statement. It's easy to hope when the sun is shining, isn't it? It's easy to hope when things are going well. It's easy to sing Christmas songs when the tree is up, the family is home, and the fire is slowly dying, and yet there's still a stack of wood next to it. These are good times. And for the disciples, there were so many exciting things that Jesus was accomplishing. And they weren't taking it all in. They're humans. They're finite minds. But as Jesus was performing miracles and, and giving prophecies and, 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 conne- and connecting prophecies together and fulfilling prophecies right before them, they could only take in so much. Things were exciting. Things were going well. He had a confidence as he marched to Jerusalem. Things were going well, the sun was shining, the fire was burning, things were well. He made the lame walk, he gave sight to the blind, he raised the dead. And all of that had been foretold about the Messiah. And so hope was not deferred in that moment. Hope seemed to be realized right before their eyes. But then something happened. It wasn't a subtle changing of the winds. It was drastic. It was violent. And for the disciples, it was surprising. Their master was crucified. Marred with shame. Their own lives were now in danger. And now, as this disciple, as Cleopas says, he says, we had hoped We were trusting, but now something's changed. Don't you even know about this? And so my question really in my mind is, were were these disciples, these two, were they doubting God's promise that God would not be able to fulfill it? Or were they doubting that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise? It's hard to tell. Likely that Jesus was was the fulfillment. But I would ask the question, are you ever tempted to doubt that God's promises, that He gives, that they are, in fact, true promises, as we looked at last week? Do you ever doubt those promises? Do you doubt that He hears our prayers? Most of us are mature in the faith enough to know that not everything that we ask for will be given to us immediately. Not everything, and yet at the same time, we're, we may be tempted to believe that God doesn't actually invite our prayers, nor does he hear them. The disciples, were they doubting God's promises? Church, are you doubting that he hears your prayers? Maybe, are you, maybe you've begun to, to doubt that Jesus will actually bring deliverance from the power of sin in your life, in this life. Maybe you have struggled to to really believe that Jesus has secured justification from the guilt of sin in your life, and even now you walk around with guilt and shame that you need not bear. Are you doubting the promise of God in the face of struggle and difficulty? Do you doubt that God will use our offering? He commands, He invites us to play a part in the sending of missionaries, the gathering of our resources and the sending off do you really believe that god can use thirty five hundred dollars from a small church in western maryland he promises that he can he promises that he will do you doubt the promise of god see difficulty but there's the need is so great darkness is so prevalent can he really accomplish what he says he will accomplish maybe you doubt as well just as the disciples did maybe your hope is not as strong today as it was yesterday do you believe that in the face of terrible things like the destruction of of cities and towns and neighborhoods by great tornadoes that god can use that to bring glory to himself and somehow even bring joy and goodness to god's people do you believe that he says that it's true he promises us that Even when that tornado touches down a few weeks before Christmas and destroys neighborhoods. Do you still believe that He's good as He promises He is? Do you still believe that He can use that for His own glory as He promises He will? Do you believe that God, as He promises, can use persecution that we face individually, collectively? Do you believe that He can use that Again, for his glory and for our good. He promises that he will. And When things are going well, we believe those promises. Yes, of course, God uses everything for his good, for our good and his glory. And yet, when we're in the middle of a storm, when we see just as he promised would happen, death occurs. We begin to doubt his goodness do we begin to doubt his promise do we begin to doubt that the fulfillment of all of those promises are all found and answered in Jesus Christ I want you to notice something as we think about this idea that we should continue to hope though things look bleak I want you to think about this Jesus and I know you know this but Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection like to the to the T He said that this exact thing would would happen. Remember, he said, oh yeah, those are great stones. They're great. They're all going to be torn down. Not one on another. He challenges the religious elite in other passages, not in Mark necessarily in the passage that we looked at, but in other Gospels. He says, tear down this temple, destroy this temple, and in what, three days, I'll restore it. He tells his disciples, it's necessary that I die. It's necessary that I go away. So instead of discouraging us in some odd way, as the disciples consider that Jesus foretold his death and resurrection, it should not discourage us, but in the face of our bleak circumstances, it should encourage us. Why? Because he himself predicted it. He predicted it. He predicted that he would die And he predicted that he would rise again. And though it is a dark night, those three days, what glorious comfort we find in that in our discouragement, in our trials, in our trying moments, he said that those things would happen. He promised us persecution. And yet we are tempted to believe that the promises of God are false, ineffective when those things take place. He promised us that we would feel alone, and yet He promised us that He would send the comforter. He promised us that we could use the keys of prayer to enter into the holy place, go to the throne and convey our needs, our struggles, our desires to Him, which implies that we would have those needs and struggles that we would pray about. And so, church, Though you're tempted to, in our bleak circumstances, lose hope, do not lose hope, Jesus promised that these things would take place. And He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Remember, they're all yes and amen in who? In Jesus. And so in our circumstances, don't lose hope. Nothing has happened that he said wouldn't happen. Everything that he said would happen is happening just as he said it would. And so let's not lose hope. Hope tends to evaporate, though, when our eyes are no longer fixed on Jesus. but we begin to on the circumstances. I was reminded by uh, one of the young men in my D group. D Group is a group that, that meets on a regular basis. They hold each other accountable to, to read God's Word and to memorize Scripture together. They, they share their personal uh, growth, needs for growth, spiritual prayer requests, and physical ones as well. And one of the young men in my group, he said uh, just last week, he, remind, he reminded the rest of us that when we take our eyes off of Jesus, just as Peter did walking on the water, the circumstances become greater and we begin to sink hope begins to evaporate. That's exactly why in our circumstances, point number two of two, we should ask God that He allow us to see Jesus more clearly. That though we see our circumstances ever so clearly, that we would ask God to allow us to see Jesus in those circumstances even more clearly. Just as if we were in a storm on the coast able to see through the darkness piercing through that darkness the light of a lighthouse we would see the darkness all around us the storm and the wind and the waves but that in the midst of all of that that we would be able to see and be comforted by Jesus even more clearly look at verse 30 it says and when he was with them at the table he took the bread he blessed the bread he broke the bread And he gave them the bread. Their eyes were opened in that moment and they recognized him. Why did they recognize Jesus as he handled the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them? Because that's exactly what he did on the side of of the hill. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He passed the bread out. And as he passed it out, it was multiplied for the people exactly what jesus did in the upper room the night that he was betrayed we're reminded of this on a monthly basis what does jesus do he takes the bread blesses the bread he breaks the bread and he passes the bread out that same pattern so as these two disciples are there with jesus at this table he's not the host and yet he's playing the part of host he takes the bread it's not his house it's not his bread and yet he takes that bread he breaks it He blesses it and he passes it out. And in that moment, they see their Lord and they're reminded, this really is him. And their eyes are opened. They begin to see Jesus more clearly. Simply, my prayer for us as we end 2021 as a church, as we go into 2022, a unified, healthy, strong church that's making much of Jesus, that our eyes, our eyes, would be able to see Jesus more clearly and that we would recognize him just as these brothers did. It's interesting, Jerusalem to Emmaus at a normal pace, I told you a moment ago, is probably around three hours. Again, can't tell you that firsthand. But I know this, that after Jesus is seen more clearly by them and then he leaves, he disappears, got other business to attend to, they begin to talk, what? That was Jesus. Wait a minute. When we were walking on the way, when he was opening up the scriptures, wasn't your heart like feeling really weird? Just like it did when we were on the side of the mountain and he was preaching and talking. I remember that feeling. I just couldn't believe that that would be him. I mean, now it's coming clear. He said that this would happen. And now it has happened. And man, what was it that did it for you? Well, when when, when he took the bread and he prayed just like Jesus was praying when he was with us. And then he broke it in the same manner and passed it out after he had blessed it. Man, when that happened, it opened up my eyes. I know that that three-hour trip that they, they partook of, of from Jerusalem to Emmaus, said it was not a three-hour trip as they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples there that night what had taken place. Here's what I'm thinking. Just as we looked at the prophecies... Of persecution and discouragement and even need and prayer and these other things that we looked about, Jesus prophesied that those would come, that we would experience them, that that should encourage us. In the same way, instead of discouraging us, these dire, bleak circumstances, they should encourage us. Why? Because they cannot take our blessings. They cannot take our blessings. Why? Because Jesus overcomes all circumstances. Jesus is greater than anything the disciples were going to face. He was greater than anything they were facing in their dire circumstances. He showed them, and even now he shows us just how powerful and great, how sustaining he really, truly is. My prayer is that we would see Jesus more clearly, that in the face of our circumstances... We would understand that he's greater than all of these things. I can't think of a better passage that really highlights this truth in Romans chapter 8. If you participate in the reading plan in the in the, 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 the 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 stone or the, 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 the main reading plan, there's going to be several offered this next year. But if you participate in the main one, there'll be a memorization plan assigned to that. If you participate in that by the end of 2022 you'll have memorized all of hebrews 1 and all of romans 8 it's only one verse a week one there's 53 verses i believe so one week we'll have to double up but one verse a week you'll be able to memorize this glorious passage romans chapter 8 i want to read to you verse 31 to 39 really captures what i believe the lord is getting at luke 24 Romans 8, 31. What, shall, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This wasn't written to 21st century Americans who historically have very few enemies that we need to. Oftentimes we think that we are impenetrable can't be defeated we have no needs that's not the spirit of those who would be receiving this passage initially if god is for us who can be against us if rome is against you does it really matter if god is for you of course not goes on to say he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all that gave him up How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If God is for us. Kind of has this idea, if God is with us. If God is on your side, better yet, if you are on God's side, who can really be against you? If you're in His fortress, who will come and take you out? Who will harm you? Answer, no one how will he who did not spare his own son not graciously freely give us all things furthermore he goes on who shall bring any charge against god's elect maybe it is you that struggles to truly believe that you can be justified and that presently if you've placed your faith in jesus that you really are justified and the wicked things that people may know about you or you fear they will know about you really have no bearing because you have been forgiven Who can bring anything against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He goes on to say, who is it that will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. There may be those that are interceding against you, but Jesus is interceding for you. And your circumstances may seem bleak, And you may think, but these people think ill of me. These people know this thing that's true about me. And I feel shame and guilt and fear. Would we place our eyes on Jesus? He's the one who died. He's the one who was raised. He's the one who satisfied God's holy demand for righteousness. He is the one who extends his own righteousness to you as he bore your sin on the cross. And even now, that one, that man, that God, he is interceding for you. He goes on to say, Who shall separate us? There again, implied God with us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who can do that? Who can thwart God's love? Who can thwart God's will? Will tribulation, difficult times, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and anything else that you could throw in that list? These are the worst of the worst in the first century. Can anything else separate you from the love of God? Absolutely not. And so God's promised these things. And yet, in our trials, in our difficulties, much like those of the disciples on that first Easter morning, they're struggling, their eyes are on the danger, their eyes are on the dashed hopes, they can't put it all together. They had hoped, oh, that they would continue to hope. Hagerstown Church, oh, that we would continue to hope and to take our eyes off of our circumstances and place our eyes again on Jesus Christ even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though we are maligned, even though we may be betrayed, whatever we face, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What a glorious truth. Look at verse 38. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, capping this thought off, says, For I am sure... I'm 100% confident that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a truth! What an anchor for your soul this morning. Despite our circumstances, despite what it may look like, God has not abandoned his promises and he has not been thwarted. He may be dead there in the the ground and he will still yet rise again. That's what those first century disciples needed to be reminded of. And for us, we may be tempted in another way. Sure, he rose again. And yet, why does he tarry? Where is his coming? Why is he not here with us now? Well, despite your circumstances, remember this. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus because God is keeping his promises in Jesus. I mentioned a passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, verse 12, a moment ago. It says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. We've all experienced that. But the second part of that proverb is this, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Church, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our hopes fixed on him. And though in this particular time our hearts may be sick, When the desire comes, when Jesus returns at that second advent, our hearts will experience the tree of life. I want to end with this thought here. We're about to sing it. I think it's helpful for us to read songs before we sing them. Part of the song we'll sing it goes like this Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. He's the Lamb who was given. Slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. He's the Lamb who was given. Slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. And so, come. Though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Come, see what your God has done. I want to invite you to take a moment with your head bowed and your eyes closed to contemplate to reflect on these truths that he in fact is the lamb who was slain slain for our pardon his promises peace for those who believe i don't know where you're at with a crowd this size it's difficult to tell i'm sure it's varied there's some of you here this morning that By God's grace, you are holding to the anchor, which is Christ. And despite your circumstances, you are keeping your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus because you believe this morning fully that He is keeping His promises through Jesus. I praise God for that, but there's others of you this morning that you're tempted to take your eyes off Christ. Not because of disdain for Christ, but because of fear of your circumstances. And the desperate nature of them. I want to encourage you this morning, don't you think long and hard about Luke 24? Did you think long and hard about the promises given to us in Romans chapter 8? Your circumstances may be difficult, but God is answering His promises in Jesus for you. Maybe this morning you have never placed your hope in Jesus. Maybe this morning you, for the first time, have even heard about this great light that shines in the darkness. Maybe you've been tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this life. You've been dashed upon the rocks. I want to invite you to look to Jesus this morning and to come to Him just as I have, just as any brother or sister Christian that has gone on before, come to Jesus having nothing nothing but filthiness, nothing but sin, nothing but guilt, come to Jesus this morning and receive the pardon. He himself is the offering. He offers us his righteousness and he takes our sinfulness there on that tree. The invitation is open for you this morning. I would love to to share more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with you. I'd love for you to be encouraged to place your hand upon the firm Rock that is Jesus. Church, would you pray with me now? God, we thank you. Again, as we started this service, we thank you for your promise. The promise that you fulfilled that Jesus would come, he would be the deliverer, that he would, pu- that he would free us from the sin that ensnares us, defeat sin. It's power in our life. He would defeat the devil. Father, you've given us that promise and you fulfilled it in Christ. And even now, you've promised us that He will come again and bring us to Himself. That we would be in His kingdom and He would reign as the Prince of Peace. We long for that this morning. We pray that you would help our hope to be strengthened as we look not at the circumstances, though they be dire. that we we would be strengthened in our hope as we look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Jesus, as we've lifted you up this morning, we pray that you would draw those who are in the throes of sin, tossed about in darkness, that you would draw them to yourself and that you would use this church. Jesus, we love you. We praise you we look for your coming. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.